Welcome to What the Fish, a podcast where the fish guys at the Field Museum in Chicago talk about marine life, new and crazy species, natural history news, and fish. Who are the fish guys? We have Dr. Leo Smith, head of fishes, and a guy who just loves him some peanut butter. Hello. We have Dr. Matt Davis, a postdoc, and also a man who loves to eat edamame pods. Hello. And Dr. Eric Algren, a consultant for fishes and loves him some pickles. Hi there. And I am Beth Sansenbacher, your host, and I consistently eat too much cheese. Today, we are going to discuss fish with barbels or whiskers and the senses. The average person might see a catfish like in a tank or lake or something, and it's got these like, they're like little tentacles that, that trail off of the face. That's the barbels, right? Those are barbels. That's not the stinger, though, on the catfish. That's not the stinger of the catfish. But other fish have barbels. You know, it, some of them are like fringe. Some of them can be at other parts of the body. So whiskers that are like your guys' whiskers is different from fish whiskers. These are, if anything, are probably more like scales or feathers. Well, that's weird to think about. The, the whiskers on the fish are not like... They're not whiskers. They're, they're, they're not like dead protein extruded from the skin. They're, they're like Much actual... Th- they're alive with nerves. They're live with nerves. Is it more like a tongue? Can they taste with their barbells? You mentioned that, uh, or barbels. Can they taste with them? They can. So a lot of fish with barbels have taste bud receptors covering them. Probably all of them. Yeah, probably all of them. Oh, do they do any of that weird electromagnetic censoring stuff Uh, with the whiskers? No. Oh. In this case, it's like strictly tasting, and they and their taste buds are set up the same way as ours. They're also their epithelial tissue, um, their chemoreceptors, so they can taste bitter, sour, sweet. So just like your tongue, just think of their whiskers as like a lot of tongues. How do you know the fish can taste bitter, sour, sweet? I mean. What is it? You look at it under a microscope and you see these receptors and they look like human. I mean, fish can't tell you if it's tasting sweet. This is true. Well, you can, because they're nerve, they're innervated, you can actually look for the polarization of the cells based on the reaction of the taste buds themselves. Oh, so you so you look at it like a, like a functional... Uh, like a physiological look, you, study or You, you look yeah. like a, at a physiological... Oh, okay, so you hook this thing up to... Uh, to a galvanometer or something like that, and you put something something acid, which would be sour on it, and you touch this part of the barbel, and there's no signal. And then you touch this other part of the barbel, and there is a signal, and you say, oh, well, that part of the bar- barbel tastes sour. Is that what you would do? For the listeners and myself, what is a galvanometer? <laughs> well, back in the day when we were youngsters, it uh, measures very uh, small currents. It's uh-huh. like a little, like a milli, uh, milliameter or yes. something. Uh, yes. Know. I did a frog dissection with one of those yeah. guys. I've never used huh. a galvanometer. <laughs> I, well, you I, young I, whippersnappers yeah, these I, days. Yeah. So, so are the whiskers or fish barbels and whiskers, are, are they, I guess, segregated like our tongue? Like, do they have areas where they taste different things? Or is it all just, like, do they know that amount of detail? Or do they just know they can taste stuff? So it's more complicated than that. So actually... Fish bodies, uh, fish that live on the bottom, so what we call benthic fish, actually a lot of species will have taste buds all over their body, not just on the barbels. They're just more, just like our tongue is more sensitive to taste and things like that, they have parts that, you know, the the barbels are going to be one of the more sensitive things. But fish actually have these on, you know, they'll have them on fin rays, so, or which would be like kind of like us having like taste buds on our feet. 
So if you were walking, if you were a fish, like a catfish that lives on the bottom, your whole you'd have these barbels and you'd have these fins, and even the your body would be like it'd be like stepping on like the asphalt over on Michigan Avenue with every bite. Except for instead of Michigan Avenue, you'd actually be like in the mud. Ugh. You'd be in the most disgusting thing in the entire world, touching that with your tongue. But it's not disgusting to a fish, of course. It's just the way that they locate food and... Yeah. I don't know. Avoid, <laughs> avoid unpleasant. Presumably they think like we do, that some things taste good and some things taste bad. Do they yeah. have taste buds on their tongues? Oh, that's a good question. They don't really have a tongue in the sense of, like, we have a tongue. They have things, in, they have things that we refer to as a tongue, but it doesn't help with bringing food into the mouth or any of the things. Yeah. It has a different function. It's so sort it's, of, there's a muscular appendage in the mouth that... I don't even think it's muscular. I think it's more bone and skin and things like that. Hmm. So it's a different kind of thing. But that gets into the question of whether there's really a difference between smell and taste. So the reason we have a difference between smell and taste is because we live in air. And when we have something wet, we taste wet sort of things. Yes. And we it's smell dry good. things. Yes. It's not good to snort wet. Well, it's wet. wet on the inside of your, in, in your right. nose, though. I mean, but some fishes couldn't... have a really good sense of smell. Right, but, t- but to a fish, taste and smell, how, what really is the wait, difference? Wait, 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 well, wait. There wait. Is a difference. How, uh, how can there be a difference? Because, right, because you inhale things and you get m- little particles in the air, and that's how you smell things, right? So they well, they dissolve up your in, the, in the moisture in your nose. Right. In us, but that, that that's because our chemoreceptors that are tasting them, we're picking them up that way. But presumably the fish are picking them up through their fins or through their barbels or through their heads. But they're also smelling through their nares, and they have huge olfactory lobes. That's nostrils to you. Yeah, they're nostrils. <laughs> yeah. So they do smell and they taste, and they're separate. That's but just like people. But it's more complicated than that because the thing producing the, the smell, taste, whatever you want to call it, are all that's being carried in water to them they're not one's not coming from air yeah that's what i mean yeah. so and that's like the big difference a like Snickers one, bar in my hand yeah, yeah like right. one you have to like your your body physically does something so you can take in particles from air and then your tongue is for things that are already liquefied or soon to be liquefied but everything's liquefied so why do they need two why I've can't always, they just have one i wonder i always wonder why they had this differentiation like why a fish started with this, I understand if, if I think it's fronting because the smells actually the smell can actually travel pretty well through water. I think, like I mean, I think it can. Oh, it, but I mean, yeah. how is that different from tasting? Yeah, how is it different from tasting it? The tasting has got to be somewhat tactile. Like they aren't using the barbels just for sensory. Like they're actually touching things with the barbels, or they're touching things with their fins. Like so the difference just, between taste but, and smell would be but, the tactile part. Or? But but it, aren't the part aren't they just particles anyways? I mean, because it's a particle in water. So if I wave my barbel. As I'm doing right now, That's very <laughs> in nice. the water, like I would hit up against a particle. So well, there's some proximity that... thing probably there too. I mean, they probably are picking up on some things that are close by, and then the smell might be coming from some things that are really far away, like fainter. Yeah. So like this, this because like some of these fish, like think of like a catfish is living in really murky, nasty water. Sometimes they're they're not going to be able to rely on sight just to hunt something. Mm-hmm. So they can rely on smell from something maybe from a distance that they're picking up, and then they're relying on these barbels or other things to pick up closer prey items like to to locate these things in the water columns so if they can't see it they need to find it some other way is there some sort of correlation to like the murkiness of water and like barbel length or ability to smell there's probably some i don't it's not a perfect correlation because there's a lot of catfish for example that are these really large um migratory catfish that travel all across the amazon that have really large barbels 
for example. And so in those cases, those there, it's clean water, but they would have long barbels. I don't think that the opposite is true. Um, some of the more murky, there's plenty of murky things that have long barbels, like the you know North, yeah. Amer- North American catfish are in some pretty murky water. Yeah, and they don't have they have longish barbels, not the super long ones, but and the, the amount of like taste buds on a barbel also changes depending on the catfish species. You know, some will have really dense like packets of, of taste buds in a small area. Those like, would be like the wine tasting yeah. catfish. Those snobby the snobby catfish. <laughs> yeah, they, they would be able to tell between like a krill that was like two days old and a, and a tire. And a tire. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, some of them will have really dense packets or dense like dense sets of them on their head and other ones they'll be more sparse and sporadic. It's mm-hmm. just that that does vary a lot from species to species. And this isn't just catfish. I mean, lots of fish have barbels and all these things. I mean, like, yeah. even common goldfish have little tiny barbels on their yeah. mouth. Just what about the goatfish? The goatfish does. So the goatfish is uh, interesting. Uh, there, there's a few different groups of fish where they've actually taken some of the bones out of the branchial basket of the sort of the gills of the fish and actually converted them to be barbels sort of hanging off the end of the chin. So goatfish have taken the first... Uh, gill arch and converted it into these sort of things that almost kind of look like feet, but they kind of dig through the like sand mm-hmm. generally, and they're basically trying to find little pieces of food. And having by having these bones and muscles that they've sort of co-opted from the gills, they can actually move it around and kind of kick around the sand a little bit. They can kind of dig a little in a way, and you see the same thing in a strangely enough in an open water fish. There's an open water fish called a beard fish that also has modified these gill in a different way, but basically the same idea where they've taken the gills and actually converted them into freestanding. And they still, and it's still called a barbel, even though it's from a different, like sort of anatomic structure or. Yeah. We, there's all sorts of different any, things. Any sort of sensory barbels. apparatus that hangs off of a fish's chin or something they would, they would, I mean, what, what is, yeah. Yeah. What is a barbel? Wait, what is a barbel? If you're going to define it. I think a barbel is pretty much anything that, that comes off of the front end of a fish that's <laughs> that's sort of driven from a taste sensory point of view. Yeah, so in this case, we're talking about it in terms of like it's commonly located in this area, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that word we're referring to something as like being what we would call homologous is in there from the same kind of anatomical structure, and that's derived from a common ancestor in the same I way. Gotcha. So like it may have independently evolved in different groups and they're based on different structures, maybe inherently, mm-hmm. but some of them serve similar functions and purposes, so we just call them barbels kind of across the board, but mm-hmm. we kind of recognize within those groups that they probably have independently evolved. Are barbels always sensory? For the most part, as far as I'm aware. It's increasing the surface area for having like these taste bud receptors, and then when they're densely packed, like you're really increasing the number that that fish has, and then it's got this extra component where it's moving them around and waving them around. Because you can have them where they're under muscular control, and you can have them where they're sort of a free floating feather in the air or a leaf or something. Yeah. It can go both ways. For species that live in like open ocean or very clear water, they have barbels too. Correct, or some, some of them do, not sometimes, all. Sometimes, but they, but they may have other ways of hunting. I was going to say, do they also have strong senses of smell as well? Like, because I guess it, it does make sense for a catfish to have both, because catfish is living in a very, to us, gross environment. But open water fish, some have barbels, some don't. I mean, scent, the sense of smell is easily the sense that has the furthest distance. Like Matt was talking about, like for example, a shark yeah. is an open water fish that would have a really good sense of smell. Yes, they can kind of study these things. By looking at, for example, the brains. Like, if you look at the brain of a fish, if they have really large olfactory lobes, mm-hmm. then you can kind of get a sense that those fish, you know, probably depend on smell for a lot of things. 
fish can see. We know that. Some better than others, presumably. They fish, can touch. Fish can touch. Do fish touch? I mean, with their barbels, do fish touch a lot of things? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the like thing on that, purpose. Yeah, there's some fish that'll like pick up rocks and move them around. Like they build nests. I mean, they'll they'll touch stuff. They'll fight each other. They'll hit each other. Right. The plus some of it is that touch is also part of how they can sense where currents are. Schooling fish. So schooling gets more complicated, and so does how you stay in place. If you're if you're a fish in a river that and you want to stay in place rather than be taken out to the ocean. You have a, you have a, they have a, an additional sensory system that we don't have. Primitively, tetrapods do have it, so aquatic tetrapods have the same system. It's a hair cell system, kind of like our inner ear, so there's sort of a long line of cilia that get bent one way or the other, depending on the motion of water around them, hmm. and it, they're able to detect the, mo- the sort of the acceleration and the speed and things like that of, the, uh, of water moving around them. With it. So that allows them, when they're schooling, to know that one's disturbing the water in a certain way so that even if they don't see the fish start to turn, they can actually detect from changes in the, the acceleration and movement of water through lateral line canals, so canals with these hair cells on the side. They can actually stay schooling with the fish, so stay next to their partner. So it kind of sounds like you described our inner ear, but it... Sort of like how your inner ear yeah, the, has. The system like... works the same way as the inner ear. So the inner ear works by there's a stone sitting on the hair cells, and so the vibration will shake that that bone in different directions. But the hair cells, it's actually got a. So these are the hair cells of a the lateral line system have something called a cupula, which is a gelatinous mass on the end of these hair cells. So it moves in different directions. So you kind of look at it like a slime with some hairs embedded in it. So that thing moves in different directions, and it just sort of trying to think of a, com- a comparable thing but yeah, if you had like a windsock or something like that that sort of gives you some idea of what it is is it's moving in a different direction and it's moving in the direction of the wind but at the same time it's going to be moved you know sort of extended or moved further with a stronger current and then fish have two kinds of those they have ones that are embedded in canals which are the ones that they use for schooling and then for rheotaxis which is how they stay in the water column those are actually superficial nerve mass so the, these hair cells or nerve mass or whatever you want to call them are on the surface of the skin and they actually they work differently and so we can actually knock one system out or the other differently and show that they can't, they lose the ability to school or they school less well anyway or they stop being able to stay in the water column in place if you knock these out electroreception is related to it comes from the same thing as a mechanoreception so that's the ability of a shark or a stingray or a platypus or anything to be able to pick up uh, like an electric discharge in the water. Mm-hmm. And so what you tend to find with fish that are really electroreceptive gymnotiforms... Like an electric eel? Well, that's a... But that's that's a, something else, but I mean, like, well, you're, it you're is, looking at like, like, like electric knifefish? Yeah, like a knifefish, that's the word. Gymnarchus, knifefish. <laughs> yeah, so the, so the knifefishes and elephant noses, they do not have any barbels. So they're all related to all these things that do have barbels, and then... They don't have any. They don't have any, which is... A, you asked some question earlier that made me think about that. I was like... You know about fish that live in murky th- situations. And oh, right. These are another group that kind of live in murky situations, but they they so have the, a whole different sensory system going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What does theirs do? Like, does it re- does it replace what barbels do, or is it better in it? Is it just different? I don't know if it's better. It's it's hard to say that some of these things are better or worse, but it's, it's totally awesome. Yeah, it's it's awesome. Right. I mean, it's it's more based on like <laughs> electron like electromagnetic signals. Right. So, give me an example. Like, they have their own like radar system. Yeah. They're exactly. just sitting there in the water. And they have very specialized 
fins and everything so that they can actually get away with doing this so that the fins aren't disrupting the electromagnetic field, but they can put out sort of like a sonar wave in a couple different directions, if you want to think of it that way, or electric wave, and they can deter, dis- detect any kind of disturbance in that, whether it's a rock or another fish, and then yeah. they can pick up whether it's moving. Those, that would be cool. Yeah, and there's a number of fish that can do things like that, and I think you mentioned the elephant fishes. They do that too, right? With right. Their- and the proboscis or whatever. Yeah, no, they've got. Yeah, those are totally. Those are in Africa. The the knife fishes are in South America, and they're totally awesome. I mean, you can get both of these in the pet trade if you want to like play with them. The electric knife fishes they're quite difficult to collect. And actually, when um, I was collecting in Panama recently last year, um, another fish person, a colleague, James Albert, who works and studies electric knife fishes, is a big part of his research. Gave us a little box that we could stick in the water so we could pick up these electronic charges so we knew that they were around so we could try to catch them um because otherwise they're pretty hard to get because they're smart because they got yeah. this they got this system that's like oh radar to avoid yeah their radar is like hey there's some big idiot walking around in the water yeah, here the <laughs> so so yeah, we can plug this thing in and you know it would make these like chirps and clicks like mm. and you know oh there's some knife fishes here mm. not that right. we could find them but, <laughs> but then we knew when they were there it just know, made you feel bad you. then yeah then we were just like oh we never we you know we Probably in the course of two or three weeks, we only collected one. I think. Wow! Like they were quite difficult. Well, to see, get that, that does seem that does seem better, and I'm doing rabbit ears around better because obviously, you know, you have for what works for your environment. So obviously, catfish are very successful. So barbels work well for them. However, it's fairly easy to catch a catfish. You see them do it on TV. Well, it's also because they're so predatory. I mean, that's the thing. They're using all that stuff to catch prey on some level. And the part of the reason we fish them is because they want the food. Like they're coming, like and the smell, like they can smell certain things. Like I know people that fish with dog food, you know, right. and I, presumably mm-hmm. it's probably because of the smell or something. But these right. night fish, they're not predatory, or are they predatory? Or yeah, they, they are. are. They are. They are. But they have little dinky eyes. I mean, they're they're yeah. relying entirely. You know, it's it's like Thomas a it's really a lot like a pilot flying on instrument controls or something wow. like that. And there are a number of fishes that also that, you know, they'll do things like, like sharks do this. Like a lot of sharks also have a large electromagnetic system for hunting. So a lot of predatory fishes do this. Do right, non-predatory fishes have this? <laughs> some level, I mean, I'm talking predatory. I mean, like maybe they're hunting a lot of other fish or they're hunting a lot. But right. On some level, all fish are probably Pre- predatory. predatory. Yeah, like are some a, fish strict vegetarians? I mean, do they yeah, like a pacu, there's a piranha relative that eats fruit or... Or like a like a tang, like a yellow tang or a blue tang, like Dory on Finding Nemo. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's and they have a lateral line system or an electrical sensory. They have a lateral line system, which is more of a touch receptor. Receptor. You're it's, saying, a di- so. it's called. It's referred to as distance touch. Distance touch. That's sort of how we try and describe it. Yeah. That was my favorite uh, Genes- I- Genesis song from back in the eighties. <laughs> distance, <laughs> distance touch. Distance touch. <laughs> the majority of fishes, I would say, have a lateral line system. Although there are some that have lost them, but they still have. The ones that have so a lot of them have lost the canal system, which is what they use for schooling. So if you're a like you burrow or something like that, you tend to the lateral line. So the lateral line system, just to give some ideas, sort of the line that's along. If you look at a fish, it's usually around the midline of the fish, and so you'll see funny little scales that have tubes in them. It's like a horizontal line, yeah, stripe right down the side of the fish. Yeah, right down the side of the fish. Right, usually and, see that. And so if you're a fish that burrows, so you're a jawfish or some certain kinds of gobies or other things like that. You, you'll have a tendency, and evolution tends to make them lose this system, but when they lose the 
canal system, they still retain the superficial nerve mass. They don't lose all the sensation of the system. They just they don't need to have be constantly like I'm touching the wall, I'm touching the wall, I'm touching the wall, I'm touching the wall. Not really helpful, yeah. <laughs> you know. But, or there's no water motion because they're in a, you know sitting in a tube somewhere. Uh, so you do lose that. And then certain fish, like flying fish, that are up at the surface of the water. You actually have the the lateral line system moves from the midline of the body to the bottom. You get some really weird patterns in fishes of these things, and it's helpful for us to help identify them. You know, yeah. we can put them into groups on the basis of it. So for our fish of the week this week, we have a gargariscus, and it's an adorable, tiny little fellow. And I'm going to pass it off to Dr. Algren so he can describe it to you guys. Looks like a hovercraft. Actually, no, it looks like it's about, uh, what would I say, about four inches long and kind of a light brown color. And it's got uh, large eyes uh, on both sides in the front. But what's really striking about it is that, well, it has no tail or the tail comes to a sharp point. And it sort of the skull or the, the bones of the head sort of flare out. It, it, almost like a like a ray into sort of a margin that's that's sort of uh, serrated. It's uh, kind of hard to describe. To me, uh, it looks like a big grumpy old man with a beard. <laughs> like if you took a yeah. grumpy old man with a beard face and then put a tail on it. Yes, but he's flat, totally flat on totally the bottom. Totally flat. You don't think he looks like an alien? Well, yeah, but like a grumpy old man alien. A grumpy man alien, and then it's got these things, these little feelers floating on the uh, on the bottom of his chin. He's got two little or two sort of spines sticking out where his nose would be. I'd say there. So would you describe that? If you just saw that, would you say like that looks like a typical fish? No, it doesn't look anything like a typical fish it's it's sort of it's generally fish shaped but it's not it's it's real armored it's really rough and uh, uh it looks like something out of star wars yeah no it's it the, it lies on its belly so like it's you know it's most fish you kind of think of as swimming side to side uh but this is more like a stingray or something where mm-hmm. it's flattened front so it's to a top. fish kind of like a cat i mean it's in a way a like a catfish and then just like a catfish it's got big long barbels on its chin mm. So when, where, where does this, where do you find this guy? I collected that in Taiwan uh, in, two, in the end of 2009. So we got it's part of the sea robin. So a lot of people go fishing for sea robins. This is a weird, freaky one, um, probably the freakiest of the armored sea robins. So we, you know, if anyone's collected those or fished for those off of the Atlantic coast of the people, United States, what do you mean that people go fishing for sea robins? Are they uh, sport fish or is it uh, like good tasty I don't, fish? Or? I don't think anyone does it on purpose. Oh. I mean, you, it's just something that comes up. You know, you, you're going after something else, and you end up with one of them on the end of your hook. But they're a relative of things like scorpion fish. They're all the so the way that they get all those like little spines and crenulations on its side are actually modifications of the lateral line bones. Oh, oh neat. so the bones that we were talking about with the with the sensory specializations, mm. those bones develop a little later in life and attach to other bones later in life, so they fuse in afterwards, and so. Because they're growing later and the fish is later in development, you can start, you know, so these bones inherently kind of look like a cannoli. Mm. And, like, when they fuse onto a plate, my I once had a colleague that described it as kind of like a cannoli stuck to a paper plate. And what these guys do is instead of the cannoli sort of looking like a cannoli, it's like they made an antler out of the edges of them and went crazy. Just put mm. spines every which place that you can get, but just a little bit different laying down of bone. Yeah, It's hard to describe. Uh, you, are you going to put a photo of this? Oh, yeah. There's the, going to be a photo uh, of them on the website. What's really cool about them is that they're like 70% head. 
Like, yes. Yeah. You know, like they kind of, in a, like a shovel or something. Yes. Yeah, it's and, sort of, yeah. But they like head on, I don't know, I always thought it was head on, they, I don't even know how to describe it, but really a lot like an alien. It looks like an octopus. Yes. It does kind of look yeah, like, or like a cuttlefish. It kind of does look like a cuttlefish. cuttlefish. Yeah, yeah, it has a cuttlefish type head. Look to it. That's that's a really good one. The tininess nice. of it makes it so adorable. Yeah, well, they can get this group can get pretty big. You yeah. can get one of these. It's like the yeah. size of like a human thigh. Like it could attach that, to like the back of your head and control me. your brain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like yeah, from, like from Rathacon, you drop it in your ear. Right. Like, yeah, <laughs> sort of like the Rathacon earworm yeah. sort of creature. Yeah, but it's like half of its body almost is head. Yeah, and it's yeah, all yeah. tiny, and all these scale, all of its scales are modified into this really thick armor. Mm. Very cool. And it smells great. These guys also have a really funny swim bladder. They have a their swim bladders uh, got like a lot of muscles and things like that, so they'll make grunting calls. Oh, oh. neat! So you can make you that know, makes you know. it even cooler. Yeah, it's, it's like a, a grunt. grunting. I'm not sure we've ever recorded old man I'm, fish. I'm yeah. almost positive yeah. we've never recorded Gargarisk is making noise, but the so but we can infer it because all the other uh, members of its group have it. Yeah, right. Are they so. the drums? The grunts? Yeah, they're, they they it's a drumming muscle. So it, it's like, it, but it ends like, you know, that kind of thing. Like a like a frog. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Not unlike looks a frog. like a batfish. There's a number of fish that it could. This would be a better, much better batfish than the batfish. <laughs> yeah, I, it, like from the, the the neither of them really look particularly like bats to me. I've always yeah, but this doesn't from the bat. Like if you like look at this in silhouette, doesn't I'm gonna put this on the podcast. I'm gonna put the silhouette of this thing on a yellow background. Yeah, like a so, Batman. Doesn't that look like a Batman? Like, no, it's the bat symbol. No. I think Doctor Davis I, is wrong. It has I, no wings. It's I just a, think we should let the listeners decide. I think it's a hoverboard. I'm, I'm if with if the listeners have any great ideas as <laughs> well, to what they want to call this, I don't fish. think either of them look like bad fish. They want to describe I can, I see this the fish. Frog fish. When people say frog fish, I don't see bad fish. <laughs> You're crazy. It just looks like a big disc. It doesn't look like a bat. That one, that's but this one. No, I don't think no. it looks like a bat. Thank You're you, crazy. No. It looks like the bat. I don't think it looks like a bat. I think it looks like the bat. Sim- it Batman like symbol. A, it doesn't look anything it like, look bat, anything like the bat Batman symbol. symbol. I'm gonna put it on yellow. I'm, I'm right, gonna you. I'm gonna get a picture of the bat symbol. Yeah, we'll put it next to the bat symbol and we'll let the listeners <laughs> decide. decide. So we've talked about sight, smell, taste electromagnetic reception but we haven't actually talked at all really about hearing yet yeah. have we? so fish don't hear you have the same bones as we do for their hearing so a lot of their cheekbones are actually migrated up into our skulls for our hearing bones and that's like homologous from back from a common ancestor to the groups so like right. there's a so bone the primitive fish yeah primitive fish no well not <laughs> primitive fish don't like that one <laughs> common ancestor between ray fin fishes for example right. and then the sarcopterygians like somewhere along the way like when we get into the sarcopterygians we have this mic the bones that the lobed fishes as we the lobed fishes right. that we've yeah that we talked about before that high there's there's certain sets of bones that are mm. homologous to the, our three bones in our inner ear right where like in ray fin fishes those bones are still just part of like the suspensorium system so like part of the opening and closing the mouth or the jaws or right so how do fish hear yeah, it seems like it would be very different because when you hear underwater, it's all sorts of crazy town. Like things sound really far away, and you have no idea where it actually is. Like if you're like, scuba diving, yeah, us. Yeah, if you're scuba us. diving or snorkeling, and like a, you hear like a motor of a boat, you're just like, I have no idea how far away it is, where is it, anything like that. It's very disorientating. And so the part of the problem there is that what we the way we hear is basically we have a hard stone that's so a denser element sitting in our ear so that the reason we can hear is because it vibrates differently because it's heavy when you're underwater 
you want to reverse that. So they, you'll tend, well, you can either make the the hearing element hard, which is one component of the system. So they are, their ear bone, they have an ear bone. It's different. Um, called an otolith, and the, but a lot of fish, what they actually do is use their swim bladder. So they'll take their swim bladder, which is the element that allows them to float in the water column, and they'll actually modify it and attach all sorts of bones or horns or anything like that, and actually take those things up into the head. So catfishes have this really weird thing called the woodbearing ossicles, where the swim bladder is encased on the front end by a bunch of bones that, that are actually modified vertebrae, and it goes up and it actually kind of connects into the inner ear so that they can both hear things with these ear stones that are so that they're picking up vibrations because they're denser than water but then the the gas bladder is picking up a whole other set of things because it's lighter than water and vibrating differently than water or their body tissues Weird. and so they're really really sensitive to hearing this particular morphological structure the Weberian system is something that evolved in the ancestor of that entire group of mainly freshwater fishes so that's common in like minnows, catfishes, tetras. tetras. So like a lot of the kinds of things you'd see at a pet store, like like a piranha has that. The knife um, fishes. Knife fishes. Yep, that we were talking about earlier. Weird. So. And you're talking about one fourth of all fishes. Yeah. Lots. Well, even more fish have modified swim, swim bladder yeah. situations, but these are ones that have the Weberian ossicles, which in particular. Yeah. So this is something that evolved more or less one like evolved in the common ancestor of this group and has persisted throughout the majority of the species in this group. Because so it's, it's so it's, awesome. Yeah, it's a good adaptation for them to have in terms of hearing. Like, it, yeah, it's just so awesome that it's really helped them out. I mean, it's you, you could picture it like something like a bat. Like, bats evolve this thing and they go, you know, with sonic sounds and hearing specialization, they get these crazy ears. It's sort of like that. I mean, like, you go down a path and you're maybe not as quite as specialized as a bat, but you're, you've developed the system and you're not going to lose it. But you have butterfly fishes have horns, some of the cichlids have horns, where the swim bladder kind of goes up and abuts the back of the skull. So the mm-hmm. so swim bladder looks like a schmoo or something, so it's like, or maybe like a little snail, and you can do sort of CAT scans and you can show that those things have super hearing too. There's actually horns and something like 20 or 30 different families of fishes have independently evolved having swim bladder horns or other modifications. One thing that's interesting about the ear stone of a fish is it's not truly a bone in the normal way and it's actually turned out to be really useful for fish it's because they, or for us, not for fish, um, because they actually lay down a daily ring on that on the otolith, so you can actually age fish. Yeah, people Ooh, like study trees. them. Like, yeah, people study them like tree rings. There's whole books about otoliths of fishes. Yeah, I saw that in the in the fish's library, uh, the atlas of otoliths of a certain subspecies of fish. Yeah, no, maybe not a subspecies or a certain species of fish. Yeah, no, there's crazy studies of those things. It's unbelievable how well fish can some fish can hear. That, that always freaks me out the way like other animals can hear sounds that we can't hear. Well, with fish, you got, like, you've got a lot more, in some species, you have a lot more visual pigments, too. They can see into mm-hmm. ultraviolet and infrared and things like that. Yeah, the majority of fish can see as well, if not better, than, say, we can. Right. And they can see all kinds of other, yeah, wavelengths and all kinds of things. It depends on where they live. Like their habitats, fish have evolved different specialties to their eyes. But in general, fish have pretty good eyesight. Yeah, I mean, if you take a, even something as simple as a guppy, the reason that they're all colorful and, like, crazy, the males, is because the females can differentiate that. I mean, you know, we like the guppies because they're beautiful, but to fish, they're even, potentially even more beautiful. The ma- female uh, guppies have a lot more pig- I think they have three pigments, color pigments in their eyes. Is that why a lot of things are so very colorful, like in reefs? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, people study like people. That's a chicken and egg question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it gets really complicated. But there are a lot of researchers who've dedicated their time to studying these color systems and color patterns in relation to habitats, just like they do with birds. And like bird, you know, mm-hmm. the color color of bird feathers. The same thing with fish. Like, 
Um, are the colors for camouflage? Are they for sexual selection? Um, are the fish actually seeing the colors the same way we see them? Or are they seeing them in a different way that we can't even visually perceive them? So there's a lot of how would that you goes test that? that? <laughs> Well, that's like that's, a late night dorm conversation. Well, some of that comes back Whoa. to just studying like the actual eyes, like the morphology of the eyes. Like, right. what kind of rods and cones do they have? Like, what is the distribution of those? Like, what kind of wavelengths of light can they actually see? And then, what does that fish look like under certain? And again, they can right. they can do unbelievable things where they clamp nerves and can look for action potential along the nerve. So they it's using a galvanometer. Using <laughs> You're gonna keep telling the galvanometer. <laughs> I'm hoping that that's right with the amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> Look uh, it up. Uh, yeah, no, I'm sure it's a galvanometer. The question is whether they're using it. Just not sure that I'm using it properly. Mm-hmm. So kind of the take-home message of all of this is that fish are actually extremely complex in their sensory systems. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that's related to this with the sensory system is there was this one figure that I like remember from my like childhood of ichthyology where every sensory system basically works at a different order of magnitude so that if... You're touching something that's you know um, like a centimeter away, and if you're tasting something, it's a little further away. And if you're you know seeing, hearing, you know seeing, and then it's uh, I think then it's electroreception, and then it's hearing, and then it's uh, I think the final one is smell. But basically, you go out there and you're you're you start to be tens of thousands of meters away with smell, all the way to you know sort of immediate with touch, you know, and that each one of these scales had a different thing. And that so a fish that has to live in an environment where they're worrying about something that's 10,000 meters away, you know, you're going to be highly specialized for the environment you live in. And so a deep sea fish doesn't going to have the world, often isn't going to have the world's greatest vision and a coral reef fish isn't uh, probably going to have the best electroreception. Um, because there's probably just you know if if you were a electrical cor- noise right well I mean the amount just imagine if every living thing is constantly giving a lot of little discharge the amount of a coral reef is just like a giant living thing I mean they would just be it would just be gone there'd be almost no purpose and mm-hmm. that's why when you ask if there's things that don't have it I bet a lot of those groups don't have it but at the same time hammerheads and other things that swim near those and come to go find food on those things do rely on the electroreception for hunting or like a sawfish or sawfish mm-hmm. you know any of the big sort of cartilaginous fishes, the sharks and yeah. rays and relatives. But can fish feel joy and pain and <laughs> sorrow and ecstasy? And it's a good question. Can, do fish have emotions? They can definitely the, feel pain. I mean, there have been studies that show that fish definitely can feel pain. But that's like a sensory thing. I mean, yeah. do they have like a mental life? Well, do like they have anguish? an emotion, uh, emotional responses to things? Is there a way to, to even measure that? It's hard to imagine fish? anything that doesn't really sleep exactly in the way we do ever having joy. <laughs> um, you know, it's like if they if they don't have some of the basic things, they're spawning. They have their spawning times. They have their but that feeding with, times. I, they have their, with a, being a pet owner with fish, I feel like when watching them spawn, I feel like it's they're happy to have it done. It's like school. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They, maybe we'll eat our babies. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and that gets into a whole other conversation of what actually is human emotion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what is human what emotion? Are you, what are you doing? You're the expert on that. Yep, Dr. Algren. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. I, I know it, we, we, all, we all agree on what it is because we all feel it and we all have a certain sense of commonality with it. And I think that's, that's pretty much how it's defined. But I don't know that there's I'm, – I'm sure there are a lot of people who would say that they 
have neurological uh, evidence for emotion and they will point to functional MRIs and SPECT scans and things that show when people are happy, this area lights up in the brain. When people are sad, this other area lights up in the brain. But I think it's way more complicated and diffuse and unknown than that. And, and I don't think anybody knows for sure. I mean, they're, they're, I don't know. I feel like I can tell when my dog is happy. Mammals are social in a different way So fish are Like some fish are obviously very social They live in schools mm. But do they have complex social behaviors Say like you can understand What your dog or maybe even your cat is getting at But is that part of that just like some mammal Like is there something behavioral about mammals And their socialness mm. That we pick up on because we're also mammals And we actually have some of the and same we have, tendencies Yes the same social yeah. cues like We can pick up on a dog like when a, you know, On some level we can sometimes pick up on what a dog wants Very specifically which when you think about it is pretty amazing Given mm-hmm. the difference between us Yes But like do fish pick up on what other fish want I can't even tell what a rabbit wants but see they're social in a different way like dogs you know like I would say like throughout the evolution of canines or something like social behavior has probably been important to them like pack dynamics and so we relate to them on some level because of that yeah, that Caesar guy on TV talks about that all the time. Oh, yeah. yeah. The dog whisperer. The, the dog, dog whisperer. whisperer. <laughs> yeah, sure. And so, like, you know, this is something I, I mean, I don't know, but on, like, a scientific yeah. level, like, how do fish socialize? Is it just yes. purely mechanical? Yes, well, like, but do they chemical need... chemical receptions and yeah. things? Is that why they school? Do they just school together simply based does, does on a, Is a fish happy when it's in a school? I mean, what does it mean for a fish to be happy? I assume it's happy just because it's, like, it's reduced its chances of being eaten by some other fish or by something right. else. Like, the more you school, you know, the more well, protected you are. I think they've done well, human you feel happy and they yeah. feel they feel less stressed your, out yeah. right like right you stress. can you can measure stress hormones in them yeah like fish oh okay you can measure stress hormones so that's that's so you a, can that's have something a reduction that you would see. so like cortisol would be high in a very high yeah fish can definitely stress, get stressed stress. out yeah. yes that's definitely true yes. and the other thing is that that same group though with the weberian ossicles they also have an, what they call an alarm substance and they will actually communicate and do very strange schooling patterns when one of them senses something i don't know if any of you ever noticed this like in your home aquarium but like you bang on the tank or your son bangs on the tank and all of a sudden they all go to the bottom and they get in the same sort of shimmering weird position down on the bottom of the tank and every single one of them does this and they all do it and that same group and this has been one of the other characteristics. They release a chemical into the water? Into the water. That's interesting. Do do fish have like endorphins? Like do they? Silence! Silence! I think it goes into the, the, into the same question of the emotions. I mean, do fish have the same? I mean, do fish have sex hormones? Do we'll fish, get back do to you on that one. Do fish have testosterone? Do fish have estrogen? Is it the same molecule that is used in? in they do have. They. I think they do. Yes, they do have testosterone and estrogen. What does it mean to feel good? I mean, yeah. That's a, I, I don't. I don't honestly know if a fish feels good. They look happy when they're getting food. Fish don't smile. Do they show any? Do they show any uh, uh, signs of uh, emotion? When you, you've had a fish tank, do you do you look in there and see your fish and go like, "Well, that fish looks happy today." Oh, that fish is having a bad day. I look and see like that fish that looks not stressed out or something. Like it looks comfortable. I don't know about happy, but I can definitely they, tell when fish looks stressed. Yeah. They will do things like want food. I mean, they'll make yeah. it very. They'll recog- They learn that the person that comes in the room and shakes the little can of food in there is their friend. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they have a a warm fuzzy feeling towards that. Like if my son goes up to the tank, they don't act the same way as if I do because he doesn't feed them. Mm-hmm. All he does is bang on the tank. Right. So they don't react the same way, and so that's. I'm not sure that it realistically is any different than my dog wagging mm-hmm. its tail at me. Yeah. 
So, uh, so an emotional state in a fish or in a person or whatever is involved with multiple complex systems in the brain in a sort of like situation of, of sort of chemicals that are flowing that are stress hormones or pleasure hormones or satisfaction states or some sort of a neurological state that would be analogous to a human emotion yeah, that I've, would be so completely different for to experience yeah. as a fish yes because you i mean because this had to our emotions had to evolve from someplace yeah right and we live in very complex social situations so we need very complex emotions to help navigate that right fish live in much less complex social interaction so they wouldn't need some of them are very complex, like things that have parental care. Like there are a number of fish that have parental care. Right. Or there are a number of fish that do live in huge schools together all the time. And then there's some fish that are pretty solitary, but then they do come back into big groups. Yeah, I mean, fish definitely have fear. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. You know, so like if you've got all these negative emotions. Why wouldn't you have the positive ones yeah. as well? Yeah. Seems hard to... And we all think it comes from some common ancestor with the same kind of a brain, like basic brain setup. And some of that still obviously works like, we, you know, olfactory lobes and optic and all those things. Like, they must, there must be some similarities there. So. No, I mean, like, you, you know, you yeah, figure. Is the anatomy of a fish brain uh, similar to the anatomy of a, of a mammal brain? I mean, do they have the same. Pretty similar. Gyri I mean, and lobes and. Think, I, mean, I mean, it's, it's anatomically a little different, but because it's right, it's yeah. linear because it's not curved like ours. Yeah, mm. so that we I mean, are sort of like a hippocampus. Is there an amygdala? Is there a cingulate gyrus or you know whatever all that kind of stuff? I mean, mostly. I, I don't know what it's, I have never heard anyone talk about the last one. A cingulate gyrus. cingulate gyrus. Oh yeah, that's very important. Um, but you I hear, forgot what it's about. But yeah, it's part of the human brain. Yeah, yeah. Definitely want your cingulate gyrus. If we keep it like the at the broad strokes, like a. A mesencephalon and those. They, okay. They there's do a have, telencephalon. Yeah, they oh, there's, not a, there's, yeah. there's there a telencephalon? Yeah. yeah. yeah okay. So like, if we keep it at that level, because I don't know if Doctor Smith or myself do. Some parts you hear about, yeah, like, like, like there's lots of people talking about. Ganglia, yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. have like yeah. a red nucleus or something like that. I've never heard anyone talk about that, but that oh, doesn't okay. mean isn't it there or not. Yeah, there, like right? I, yeah, I don't know if that's okay. there or not, but it could yeah. be. No, but I mean, you know, you figure, and I kind of think about things like this. It's like I get a lot of it when I smell Play-Doh, for example. It brings back childhood memories. Mm. Obviously, Play-Doh. salmon or. Or freshwater eels, which have the reverse situation of the salmon. <laughs> when you so smell like, freshwater eels, it brings you. <laughs> yeah, it brings me back to Chinatown in New York City. Um, <laughs> where they, but uh, they, you know, they're they're trying to find their home. You know, where they the stream that they found was a kid. They presumably mm-hmm. whatever that reaction, why they're driven to go back to that same place. It's mm. the same kind of thing as me wanting right. Play-Doh so and So maybe fish feel taste. nostalgia mm-hmm. yeah, I for mean, their I, childhood, for their fryhood or whatever. They recorded something in their brain from their senses that helps them get back there. That's right. got to uh-huh. trigger a, a positive response. Right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, it has to be. Like, otherwise even if they it's just relief. Yeah. Even yeah. it's like, oh, thank goodness I finally found it. Yes. And then I'm going to go make and die. Then I'm going to make and die. I mean, a lot of happiness in humans, you could say, is relief. Oh, almost all good yeah, things. All, virtually all of the happiness in my life at this point is all relief-related. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I've finally uh, got a job. I think it goes without saying. I think fish, unequivocally fish, have a joy that... All right. All right. So we've decided. Fish, we've decided. Fish can be happy. Fish the episode be will be happy. called The Joy of the Fish. fish. That's yeah. what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. If you want to agree, disagree, or want to ask what the fish... 
tweet us your questions at FM underscore what the fish. And again, for this week, so long, and thanks for all the fish.